Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in, or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now on to the podcast. Over and out. Okay, there you go. The Hangout is now live. So now the analytics page should be fired up. And so now people are getting notifications and we're live to the world. So uh, what's up, people? Welcome. There should be at least a few people waiting, I think, right? So the analytics page should tell you how many people are watching. Just make sure it's like not zero. Uh, looks like it did. Wait. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, there are people watching. Okay. You'll figure it out. Okay. So uh, welcome, everybody. I know it's been like several weeks since I did my last live stream, but uh, as you can see, uh, the reason I haven't been live streaming is because I have been hard at work building a new and improved <laughs> system uh, in a totally new place. And so this will be the first live stream of a new a new level of the Justin Murphy live stream, I would say. As you can note, uh, things might already look a little bit spiffier to you. But uh, the major improvement we have, just turn that yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Uh, the ma one of the major improvements we have right now is we have uh, a helper, an assistant. Ben, what, what do you like to be called? Are you an intern? Are you an assistant? Are you uh, a disciple? Are you a all the above? All right, excellent. Uh, so yes, we have a second person helping with the live stream now. And for those of you who have been watching my shit for the past year, um, you know, I think you'll be uh, very pleasantly surprised by how much a second hand is going to help because you probably remember when I was uh, doing this all by myself, I had to do all the computer shit myself and also keep, you know, entertaining a uh, stream of discussion and conversation going. And it was like quite awkward. Uh, Kevin Schwinski, who is a mutual of me, Di Jeffrey and Diana uh, is asking, are we paying him an exposure? Um, the pay question we're going to answer as we go. <laughs> um, for the time being, yeah, uh, I think it's fair to say that, yes, we're paying an exposure. But no, actually, I tell you what, I mean, uh, at least for the time being, Ben, I will give you, I'll give you, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 50% of all my super chats. Now, don't get your hopes up. It's not that much. I did one time get a $100 super chat, though. So, you know, you have some probability above zero of every time we do a live stream of making so far up to possibly 50 bucks. And you never know, maybe I'll find uh, some rich whale who uh, becomes a big fan of live stream and uh, starts starts uh, doubling your income. So obviously, if my live stream blows up to the degree that I expect it will eventually, um, I'll have to put a cap on how much I pay you out of the super chats. But for now, while I'm still bootstrapping this bitch, I'll give you a full 50% of everything I get. So people, if you're watching, listening, uh, you know, help me pay my, my new staff <laughs> by uh, giving us some some fun super chats. Uh, who else is in the house? It's been a long time. Uh, Hi Hayam Sefa. I don't think I recall uh, Hayam Sefa, but welcome. Um, for any of the, those of you who are joining us for the first time, uh, I've been doing this live stream just as a kind of kind of goofy side project. 
out of my little room in England where I was living for six years as a professor. Uh, but some of you might know I'm no longer in academia and I'm basically more or less spending all of my time trying to build out my various internet experiments on a kind of full-time basis now. So this new and improved setup you see is, is all part of that. And I should also let you know that this is now, I would say a kind of official recommencement of my, my live streaming activity. So from here on out from today, you can expect a kind of recurring, uh, steadily, steadily recurring stream of, of live streams. Jay Wiley says, cancel college debt, but cancel college first. Okay. Well, a lot of things are being canceled recently. <laughs> um, and I would not be surprised if, uh, if college becomes one of the, one of the many entities to be canceled. Uh, Edwin Smith, what's up? I remember Edwin. Edwin, I was just in Florida. We missed you. Uh, see, I actually know a lot of my, my like live stream OGs. I know, I know some of them fairly well because they email me also. And I, I, I can actually kind of remember people now, even though it's been a few weeks. Anyway, yeah, so this is all just a kind of little introduction to the new setup. Jeffrey Miller's in the live stream chat, that little plant though. Yeah, Jeffrey insisted on this on this plant. I, you know, me, I'm like a brutalist, uh, minimalist. I was like completely cool with a, you know, dungeon look for the live stream, but Jeffrey insisted that we got a little bit of green color in there, so here you have it. I think it's I think it was a good it's a it's a good addition. Caution wet floor wants to know what am I doing here? That's a question only you can answer for yourself. Honestly, you probably should be doing something more productive. I'm happy for people to hang out with me. I like, I love hanging out with people on the internet, but I also want what's best for all of you. And the truth is probably in the middle of a weekday, watching my live stream is, is probably not the best thing you can be doing. So I would rather lose audience. I'd rather lose listeners and you all go off and do something more productive to be perfectly honest. But if you're not feeling like doing anything productive and you want to hang out with me, then you're very welcome. And I appreciate that. So, uh, all right. So this is all just a warm up. Um, ben here, who I'm looking across the table from, is uh, behind a computer. And another addition that we have to the live stream moving forward now is we have a we have a second monitor display. So I get to look straight at the camera. I don't have to faff at the keyboard and all the technical stuff. And now, if we want to look at stuff on the internet for me to comment on or for all of us to discuss or whatever, I now have someone who can call that up on a monitor, which I will be able to look at, and Ben will also be able to look at. And if we happen to have guests around the table, which we might expand to, they'll also be able to look at it. And Ben will also be able to screen share when uh, we look at things. So we're, we're going to test, we're going to test run this, this new apparatus uh, as we go, but uh, we'll get, to, we'll get to that in a minute, a little bit more just by way of introduction. So uh, people, <laughs> Jay Wiley, put that shit up, pull that shit up, Ben. I, I knew, I knew someone was going to say that. Um, yeah, well, make fun of it all you want, but having someone else to help with the computer shit is just invaluable. It's already so much more fun and relaxing, and I can like focus on my thoughts. So it's awesome. Ben, what are you thinking about this so far? By the way, oh, it's great. I'm blessed. Yeah, is it hard? Is it hard? Are you got used uh, to it already? I think I'm getting used to it. Cool. I was just curious. No, no, no. So uh, if you're here for the first time, I'll, I'll just quickly let you know that I have a Discord server, which is like pretty good, I think, as far as Discord servers. People tell me that um, it's really, really interesting, pretty high quality discussion, and I tend to agree. I'm kind of proud of that. So if you're interested in the stuff I talk about, you can join the Discord server. There's a link in the description. Uh, it's totally free. You're more than welcome. Uh, but I also do have patrons, and uh, I always try to thank my patrons. So 
Um, to be honest, I'm so grateful to the patrons because really I wouldn't be putting this much energy and effort into trying to build out all this crazy internet shit if it wasn't for all the patrons. So I like to just start with gratitude. Thank you to my supporters. Very based, very based pray icon based pray. That's my, that's my, that's my new uh, gesture. I think, um, yeah, obviously if you want to become a patron, totally encourage that. But, uh, I also try not to be like a marketer, uh, pushy spammer person. So if you don't have any money, that's also totally cool. You can always enjoy all my shit for free. So, uh, yeah, that's just a quick introduction to what I'm doing here and the new setup that we have. Uh, welcome back. Uh, and yeah, thanks for, uh, sticking with me through this long hiatus over the past few weeks when I have been, uh, you know, planning, planning all these bigger level changes, if you will. So, uh, what else should we talk about? I have a little, I have a few bullet points. Um, do you, any, anything on your mind, Ben, you want to, uh, throw on the agenda? Jeffrey, anything? Jeffrey, by the way, is uh, in the background. Uh, he may or may not chime in at any point. He might just want to be mysterious in the background, but he is in the room. Jeffrey Miller is in the house. Uh, I don't know if you had any, uh, any ideas, questions, comments, suggestions, or agenda items you wanted to uh, throw on there now, Jeffrey. I'm good. Cool. How many viewers we got in the house, by the way, at the moment? Uh, we, peak concurrent is 26. No, so that's the that's peak so far, but what is that currently, does it oh, say? It, if you go to the analytics tab, oh, it's, it's all good. I was just curious. Is, no, it's all cool. You're learning how to do it. We've seen 26 also. 26. Okay, cool, cool. Not bad. That's like that's like a good startup. So far, like oh, I would say over the past year, my average was kind of like somewhere between 30 and 50 on average at, at like the max probably. Um, but now that we got this dope setup and it's going to be a way more entertaining show. I expect that to increase substantially. Um, Cause yeah, back, back in the day when I would do it, I would just basically fire it up and just bullshit about whatever I want. And often I'll be honest, let's be honest. Let's take an honest look back at the first stage level one of the Justin Murphy live stream. Not very great to be honest. I had some good moments definitely. And it was fun. Uh, definitely cool, but, uh, there was a lot, there was just a lot of dead air, a lot of like long periods where I'm like faffing with some bullshit technical thing on the computer and not talking very boring. And, uh, yeah, the space was kind of cramped. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm very confident that now with this new setup, uh, we're going to, we're going to reach all new, all new levels of, of quality and, uh, and joy, especially cause Ben, I have, now I have you to kind of bounce things off of. It's hard to, it's really hard to do a live stream when you're staring at a wall. I mean, I did it. I could do it, but now at least I, I can, I can imagine that there's like sure. a, a, at least one person looking and paying attention, and I can kind of use your face, your like facial, <laughs> your facial response to, to to give me feedback. So if I'm like if I'm being really dumb or stupid or boring, you should try. You know, don't be don't be shy. Okay. L- you know, let you can you can let that be communicated in your face. Um, who else we have in the house? Any any of the old old heads who used to hang out in the live stream um, when it was when it was at its last peak for the last season um, um yeah i don't really care um I, I but also i wouldn't worry man i wouldn't worry about managing that it's kind oh, of annoying okay. just let the algorithm do its thing what is that exactly um it youtube has an automatic spam filter oh, okay. um but it's pretty if it's pretty like crappy and it often blocks stuff um i don't even know how it fucking works okay. to be honest it doesn't matter um ashley wants to know how are the orgies in the poly house well i'm very happy to inform you that uh, we've been here for about 10 days now and not a single orgy has happened that I'm aware of anyway. Um, you know, we all try to give each other privacy. So I cannot speak to um, 
everyone in the house and, and the nature or quantity of orgies that have transpired since my arrival. But I can assure you for all of those of you who are interested, and apparently many of you are interested, that I have not been party to any orgy. And my wife has not been party to any orgy. Um, so that's a that's a straight answer to that question. And uh, yeah, by the way, actually, I want to pause on this for a little bit because, you know, the, I'm sure Jeffrey's. You're allowed to say yeah, of course. Of course. No, I, but I want to pause on this and discuss this a little bit because I'm sure, you, Jeffrey, you noticed there there have been a fair number of people on the internet the past few days who I think of uh, in my, like my followers who have been saying some not very nice things about you and Diana or not very mean things, but um, they've been very mistrustful of you to a, to a degree that I think is, is not deserved. So I do want to kind of pause on this. Uh, I'd like to kind of explain to my followers most of my followers know that I'm, I, you know, I'm a fan of monogamy. I, I, I tend to think that for many people, it's, it's the best choice. And I do think that polyamory is, is um, potentially just a, uh, a big can of worms, uh, a, a kind of uh, a nest of traps. And I tell this to Jeffrey and Diana, we talk about this. I mean, they know, they know how I think about that. And, th- and they, and they respect my, my strong preference for monogamy and my, my strong suspicion towards polyamory. But Jeffrey and Diana are basically the most kind of mature thoughtful and well based polyamorous I've ever met. Uh, to be honest, I can, I can say that without any qualification and Jeffrey and Diana have never once in any way tried to, um, mess with my marriage or my, you know, commitment to monogamy, uh, either towards me or towards my wife, Aria, nothing whatsoever. They, you know, they appreciate that, uh, different strokes for different folks. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think like my read on this is basically that like a lot of people have a certain image of polyamory as um, highly correlated with certain types of particularly kind of urban, um, young adult urban pathologies that I think, you know, are in some ways correlated with with a certain type of polyamory. But um, basically, what I'm trying to say to you folks is uh, don't generalize from your biased anecdotal anecdotal experiences. There are, you know, smart, thoughtful, very caring and very reasonable based polyamorists. I mean, there is an ethical question, I guess, especially if you want to kind of think about it from a more Christian perspective. And I think that's an interesting debate, but personally, you know, we live in a, you know, we live in a liberal country and I'm uh, the last person to really kind of try to control or judge uh, what other people do. Uh, I judge people mostly on their character and uh, you know, Jeffrey and Diana have um, as far as I can tell so far, uh, Excellent, excellent character. So please cut, basically what I'm getting at is cut, cut all the bullshit about, um, you know, are Jeffrey and Diana gonna, you know, um, try to, you know, be homewreckers or something like this towards my marriage? No, no, I wouldn't be here if, if I had even the slightest fear of that. So happy to, happy to, uh, you know, clarify that Jeffrey Miller in the chat. It's very strange to see Jeffrey across the table and then uh, typing on his phone. And then I only see his uh, contributions to the discussion on the chat, on the, on the, on the chat on the screen here. But uh, okay, cool. That's fine, Jeffrey. However, you're most comfortable communicating. (laughs) What I'm, what I'm really imagining honestly is sometime over the next few months, as we kind of build this up, build this little studio room up is uh, we'll have multiple cameras and we could, we could very you know, soon be at a place where there's like two, three, even four people sitting around the table and they each have a microphone and we have multiple cameras that Ben can kind of switch around. So, uh, give us time. That's kind of like the longer term vision. We'll probably get to there, but, uh, let's see how all this goes first. What's up Tundra knot. Uh, that's Michael Cade from Portland. How you doing, man? Good to see you. We got drama mineralis in the house. Quick story about drama mineralis, uh, who's a longtime regular of this live stream. 
everyone can see his name in the chat. I met Drama Mineralis in Florida. And uh, Drama Mineralis is uh, a very nice, smart young man who is obsessed with Wilhelm Reich. Uh Jeffrey, you ever read Reich? Tiny bit. Yeah. A very fascinating guy. Obsessed with this. He he was really interested in this idea of orgone. Uh, Do you guys know about this idea of the orgone? My listeners might not know that much about the orgone. So I'll, I'll do a quick uh, disquisition on the orgone because uh, this guy, Drama Minerals in Florida, I'd had a meetup in Florida, by the way. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised that about 10 people from the north half of Florida drove actually quite far distances, some of them, to meet up with me in a Barnes & Noble. I actually did, haven't blogged about this yet, but it was probably like the most, it was the actually, strangely, it was the biggest and kind of most dynamic, interesting meetup I've had. And it was like in the middle of nowhere in Florida. Um, so I don't know what that says about my followers or my, like who I appeal to, but, uh, but it was cool. There was some really interesting people came out. I haven't talked a bunch about that. Anyway, drama minerals was one of them. And he gave a little lecture on the orgone. Uh, and the orgone is basically, it's, it's kind of like libido. It's very similar to libido, but, uh, Wilhelm Reich was, he thought about it from a very scientific perspective. Some would say pseudoscientific perspective, but my friend drama, drama Mineralis is absolutely convinced of the, the, the truth and veracity of the orgone theory, but he built, he tried to build, um, like laboratory equipment to measure orgone and to do experiments on orgone. <laughs> Jeffrey's rolling his eyes. Um, yeah, but, but the, the thing I like about Reich is that he was, he was the real deal in the sense that he was very sincere. He was very passionate. He spent uh, years of his life really trying to figure out how to scientifically scientifically measure and manipulate um, orgone or essentially what people think of as libido. And he got in a lot of trouble. He was, he was actually like on the run from law enforcement and they burned his, you know, his books were burned and stuff like that. So he had a really passionate, uh, dedicated life. And, uh, you know, I respect that. Like I would much rather a really genuine radical intellectual who gives their life to trying to figure out some harebrained idea even if it's wrong or a bit crazy, if they really mean it and they're like taking risks with their life to, to figure out what they're really interested in. I have so much more respect for that than someone who's like maybe smarter and has like some really much more basic idea. That's like more likely, but uh, is living a life of cowardice and, and normalcy. Um, so I, you know, but people who watch my shit know that I have a, I guess I have a personal preference for just like crazy, crazy thinkers, crazy people. Like, even if, even if they're a little like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the, the intensity and the commitment that said drama minerals did actually kind of, um, he kind of orgone pilled me a little bit, meaning that I went from like, I have to say my, my initial view of Wilhelm Reich and orgone theory before meeting drama minerals was essentially Jeffrey's response of rolling my eyes. That's just nonsense. But Drama Mineralis did Drama Mineralis did give a long um, lecture on on Reich. And after the lecture, I updated my viewpoint on on orgone theory. I increased my credence by probably like you know um, I don't know like one percent or something like that. Um, but that's hey, I mean from a, from a starting point of zero, you know, an increase of one percent is like a um, that's a that's a pretty successful lecture that Drama Mineralis gave me. So yeah, orgone theory. I'm not, I'm not totally writing it off. <laughs> uh, you're going to lose. Marco asks, you're going to lose. No, I'm not going to lose. I'm going to win. <laughs> um, yes, I am in this conversation going to talk about Deleuze. I'm getting there. Okay. I do things at my own pace. All right. This is my live stream. I decide the cadence. I go in the order I want to go in. I talk about what I want to talk about, how I want to talk about it. You can't control me. Look, I already, I already know that I'm being, I'm being, look, I don't want to sound paranoid, but I'm pretty sure I'm being followed by representatives of the University of Southampton. I've seen some people around the neighborhood 
I think they they might have they might have someone out on me. I'm not paranoid or anything, but uh, the point is, the point is, nobody, absolutely nobody, tells me what I'm going to talk about in my live streams. The last time someone told me what I could say on the internet, I had to move to a foreign uh, to a different country and um, sell all of my belongings. So if you think some peon in the live stream chat is going to dictate what topics I talk about in what order, well, you got another thing coming to you. So by the way, uh, Ben is monitoring the live chat um, and he's going to tell me, we're gonna, Ben is going to use his discretion to tell me what are the topics and the themes in the, in the, in the live chat that I should talk about. I'm going to, I'm going to start practicing, not looking at the chat so I can just focus on my own thoughts and making my arguments and disquisitions as clear and effective and interesting as possible. Um, so basically what that means is you have to, if you want to make a question, if you want to raise a question or put a topic on the agenda for us to discuss, um, you can do so in the live chat and obviously you can discuss amongst yourselves, but, um, you have to basically convince Ben that your topic or question or, or joke is, is good enough for him to bring to me on his own volition. What are you laughing at? Oh no, it's just Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like you can handle that responsibility? It's a lot of pressure. It is. It's a lot of pressure. You are like the filter between the world and me. Yeah. You don't seem highly enthused about that. <laughs> it's okay, man. I trust you. I trust you. I, I'm, I'm working up to it. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Yeah. It's... What, in the chat? No, just in the studio. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, I trust you, man. Ben, I really trust you. Okay. I mean, I, on, I only met you yesterday. <laughs> But seriously, I trust you. You seem like an upright guy. You're smart. Um, I've heard good things about your research and your and your writing. And we had a two hour conversation yesterday at length. And you just seem like genuinely smart, nice, kind. And you know, you're like up on internet culture. So like whatever you think in the chat is worth addressing or bringing up. Honestly, like I, I I'm seriously, I, I believe in you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That's right. Ben, Ben was a student of Jeffrey's in Jeffrey's class on effective altruism. Yes. Did you take my sexuality class? Yes, I did. And my sexuality class. Mm. I think I'm registered for human emotions. And the sexuality class and human emotions. Is that next semester? Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, all right. Let me know if anything good comes up in the chat, especially like what you want to look for is like uh, recurring, you know, like if someone makes, if someone says something and then three people say, yeah, yeah, they should talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then, you know, yeah. Um, you know, if they're like insulting me really um, aggressively and repeatedly, you, you don't have to share that with me. That's common. There's a lot of trolls. There's a lot of trolls. Oh, something else I should tell you, which we didn't talk about. I forgot to talk about this. There's a fair number, not, not a lot. It's a, it's a minority, but it's a, it's a notable minority of people in the live chat who will say like racist stuff and try to egg me on to there, there's like, there's like a few people who come to all my live streams and they want to make me a white nationalist is like their, their game that they're playing. So they'll tell me to say the N word and they'll tell me like, they'll tell me to say the 14 words, like people, people, this is a common thing. That's like the white nationalist slogan. Um, yeah. It's like, I forget what it is, but there's some 14 words um, that white nationalist people say. I don't know why it's 14, not 13, 15, whatever. But uh so yeah, you'll get some weird, you'll get like a small number of people trying to turn me white nationalist and we're going to not, not allow them to do that. Okay. okay. Um, 
sometimes I sometimes I I like joking back at them, but uh, yeah, basically becoming a white nationalist, Ben. Just so you know, becoming a white nationalist is not within like the plot arc of the next year or two years or three years. Um, so all right, so all right, I'll wait to hear from you if you want to interject. Otherwise, I'll carry on with with the agenda. So, um, yeah, I want to tell you a little bit more, folks, about what I want to do with this live stream moving forward. Cause the first year is kind of just totally off the cuff and very random. But now that I took a few weeks off and traveled and got this new setup and reinvesting in a, in a new level of production quality, I've also given a lot, a lot of thought to what I want to do with this, with this space and time. So one of the things I'm going to do, which I was doing, but I'll keep doing is use this as an opportunity to basically talk about the ideas that I'm working on elsewhere. So the stuff that I'm writing, the stuff that I'm thinking about, the stuff that I'm reading, if there's particularly compelling ideas or arguments or whatever that I want to present or possibly, you know, commentaries on things, um, I will use this space and time freely to do that at my at my leisure. And uh, so, for instance, many of you might have seen that I recently launched a uh, short ebook experiment that uh, I'm going to talk about that in a little bit in just a few, just a few minutes. Um, that's an example of something that I might use the space to kind of go into more detail on. I can, I can answer questions if people have questions about the stuff I'm working on, stuff like that. I will continue to have guests on the live stream. We have to kind of um, work out the the technology, but it shouldn't take us long to figure out how to bring in a guest through the interwebs with this new s- setup that we have. So uh, the live stream conversations that you, a lot of you have come to really appreciate uh, those will continue. So I just want to make a note of that. The, uh, I, I think I have something of an idea about starting to do just a little bit more kind of commentary on actual things that are happening in the world. You know, most of like the past few years I've lived under a rock as an overworked academic, just trying to get my publications out. And I haven't really had the time to pay attention to news or current affairs or like interesting, funny, like, uh, you know, uh, internet scandals or whatever. So I don't want to go too much into that, but a little bit more than usual, I'll probably, uh, I might here and there weigh in on some funny things, uh, uh, you know, funny or dramatic or scandalous uh, current affairs uh, of the day. I have some, I have some thoughts about kind of introducing that. And uh, finally, as always, uh, I'm happy to answer questions. So yeah, if you want to, people so often email me questions or send me questions in other, in other channels. And uh, what I'm going to try to start doing is like compiling the questions I get from people from different channels and then making like a list and bringing them in to the live streams for content and things that I can kind of uh, uh, chew the fat about. So uh, yeah, that's what, that's what you can expect. Another thing is I'm not going to set a schedule for these live streams just because I have found that um, it's, it's actually better for me and for you all. If I can just do this when I'm in the mood to do it, I plan on doing it at least once, probably more like twice a week. But um, for at least for now, I'm going to keep the schedule of when I do it quite open because I don't know what part of I don't know what time of day works best for my viewers yet. I don't know what part of day works best for me yet. I've only been in Albuquerque for like about nine days or something like that. So um, for the time being, we're not going to have any set schedule. But from here on out, you're going to see the live stream active at least once every week and and maybe maybe more. We'll see. Um, uh, unfortunately, Ben is going away on vacation for third for like a month starting on Sunday. Yeah. So, um, but it's okay. We'll, we're we're going to, we're going to work it out. We'll hold down the fort without you. But when Ben gets back after his vacation, then he'll become a, you know, more set feature or fixture of, of the situation here. So yeah, that's basically just uh, a long list of updates since I, I haven't seen you all in a, in a, like several weeks, I guess, almost a couple months by now. Um, so yeah, I just want to give you some updates on what to expect moving forward.
So I think what all I'll do now for the rest of this chat is I uh, want to talk about the Deleuze book that I'm that I'm writing. So this was a fairly impulsive idea. Well, I mean, it's been brewing, uh, I would say, for quite some time. Uh, I've long been a student of Deleuze. I've published journal articles on Deleuze, and um, I'm a huge admirer of Deleuze, as many of you could probably infer. And uh, I, But I think he's extremely misunderstood in many ways, not just ideologically, which is kind of what the book is is about, but even just more generally. Uh, he's one of the most fascinating and I think impressive philosophers in kind of the, the mid to late 20th century period of kind of radical French theory. But I think he's very unfairly lumped in with people like Derrida. Um, you know, right now there's a very, I would say there's a, there's a very bad public image for kind of French, what is called post-structuralism. Post-structuralism itself is, um, really unwieldy category that people use to uh, basically combine a whole bunch of people with very different ideas. But in the public, in the public consciousness in American public consciousness, post-structuralism or even just French theory, sometimes even more broadly, you know, post-modernism, what people actually mean when they, they use all of these words is more or less interchangeable. And all they really have in mind is um, European thinkers who uh, use complex language that just sounds like gobbledygook. That for for the most part, that's what most people mean when they when they use those words, and I think that's really unfair to the more interesting and uh, sophisticated thinkers that get lumped into that. Deleuze, I think, would be one of the best examples. in In my view, now his work is obviously difficult; it's dense. I do think there's an undeniable problem with um, you know post war French theory, where there's this kind of arms race of of obscurantism that is actually occurring. So there, it's not it's not false. This this idea people have that a lot of those texts are just through the roof obscure. Uh, it's kind of true. I think I actually see it as a, as a signaling problem. Like because of the nature of um, just the, the sociology of French intellectual life in the in the 20th century, um, things just evolve in such a way that the 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 highest level thinkers competing to be you know the dominant most influential thinkers in that time in that place. Uh, get in this kind of ridiculous competitive game of making their language increasingly complex, difficult. Um, because if you can read it and you can talk about it, then you prove, you signal effectively that, you know, you can put in the hard work of reading this like really dense stuff. And so there's definitely twisted, um, you know, there, there's a twisted kind of, I think, game theory foundation for what's actually going on in French intellectual culture in the post-war period, which is absolutely fair to critique. It's 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 excessive and it's, and it's unfortunate. But... That doesn't mean that they're all charlatans. And I think um, some of them are more or less charlatans. And I think uh, Jalouse is a thinker who has a, ver a, a few really strong signals, legit signals. It's not, it's not just noise. He's not just being obscure. Um, he's got his finger on the pulse of a few really, really important ideas, basically. And uh, so I think it's a real shame that uh, people see Deleuze as just another kind of obscurantist post-structuralist, whatever that means. And so that's one motivation for the book. I've long thought this. I think I have a pretty good understanding of what are the real big ideas in Deleuze that are really important and interesting politically and theoretically. And so that's something that I've, I've wanted to do some sort of short accessible treatment of just, um, you know, what are, what are the main ideas? This, that's one of the purposes of this ebook that that I'm that I'm working on right now that I recently launched and made available uh, for pre order. But the other motivation I would say is uh, it has to do more with ideology because there's a really interesting kind of confusion around Deleuze because in some sense 
he is obviously issuing from a very left-wing milieu in some uh, obvious sense. He's seen as a, as, as a left-wing figure. You know, he works with uh, Felix Guattari or Gattari, if you insist. And he's a kind of traditional a militant involved in a bunch of left, left-wing left groupie souls. Uh, Deleuze is very embedded sociologically in the left. And um, so that's all, that's all very obvious to people. But a lot of people have long had a sense that Deleuze is actually doing something a little bit tricky under the hood. Um, that's not at all ideologically straightforward. And really, it was Nick Land who kind of brought this issue to a kind of unignorable fever pitch because uh, Nick Land, who many of you know, of course, uh, is a uh, what they call a neo-reactionary philosopher at this point, uh, kind of explicitly kind of radical right wing. And yet he comes from a kind of Deleuzean trajectory and still in many ways kind of identifies and and and, and thinks with identifies with Deleuze and, and thinks through a kind of Deleuzean worldview. And so this is just very vexing to a lot of people. And it's genuinely quite fascinating. It's a fascinating puzzle. You know, how do you have a neo-reactionary philosopher like Nick Land who um, seems to still be essentially issuing from a Deleuzean perspective if Deleuze is such a left-wing thinker. So this is something a lot of people are interested in Deleuze a lot of, uh, in large part because of Nick Land's you know, provocative um, takes on Deleuze. And uh, yeah, but there has not yet been a book-length treatment of what the fuck's going on there, basically. And so a lot of people are super confused. And um, I think I have a pretty good theory about what's going on there. And so uh, basically a few days ago, I... I somewhat impulsively, I guess uh, a kind of image of how to do this type of book came into focus for me. And I just tweeted, I said, uh, you know, I just tweeted like an idea for an ebook that would basically go through all of the seemingly reactionary components of Deleuze's philosophy. I was like, one could do a little ebook just on that. And it would be quite interesting. And it got a lot, it got a fair amount of traction, not too much, but it was, you know, thoughtful traction people. There were at least a few people who said they'd really like to read that. So I was like, fuck it. I have all this time and space and I can experiment. So I was like, all right, I'll do an ebook about that. People want to read it. I'll throw up a pre-order form now so people can put their money where their mouth is and I can test if people actually really want to read it. And uh, as long as it gets like at least 50 people or something to make it worthwhile, then I'll just, you know, it'll probably only take me two or three weeks to sit down. If I do that full time, I could probably do it in two or three weeks. And that's basically what I'm what I'm doing now, although I have these kind of other things to also manage. And the book is called Based to Lose. And I got a lot of heat for this. Uh, people were kind of uh, debating this or making fun of this or hating on on this like people were saying that i don't understand what the word based means uh but thank you very much i know exactly what the word based means because i am the based professor essentially i'm the based dog if you will uh lil b is the based god he popularized this term base but um now based actually has a few different connotations and uh when people were telling me that i didn't understand the word based i uh i looked up urban dictionary and basically all my understandings of it were more or less correct by the way, uh, do you want to bring up the tab showing my book, which is available for pre-order, people? So th- this is going to be our first flexing of our new tech muscle, where uh, assistant intern disciple Ben is able to show you all whatever we want to show you on the screen. So right now, is it screen sharing, Ben? It should be. It looks like it is. Uh, so people, this is the pre-order page. If you're interested in my uh, short, ex- accessible explanation of the neo-reactionary dimensions of Gilles Deleuze, then you should pre-order now. It's only five fucking bucks. And I'm going to put uh, at least about two or three weeks of, of hard labor into, into writing a nice professional, well-done little ebook. That I think a lot of you will find really fun and interesting and illuminating. So I uh, just wanted to share that with you and kind of go, just kind of explain the, the rationale for it and, and what you can expect from it a little bit more.
So, uh, right. I looked up when people were telling me that I didn't understand what, what the word based means. I looked up the urban dictionary and, and you get a few things. One is, um, the first definition on urban dictionary and, you know, like they're ranked. So usually the first one is kind of the consensus understanding of what a word means, especially like internet words. Right. And, uh, the first entry on urban dictionary is it just means not caring what other people think. That's what, that's what based actually really means, uh, primarily. And that was, I think, popularized by Lil B, the base God. Uh, and he, he pushes forward a very, you know, uh, a philosophy of positivity and, you know, don't let people bring you down, be yourself. You know, it's kind of trite actually when you, when you think about it, but I do think Lil B is cool, by the way. Um, then based also, um, means it has connotations of being right wing. Um, it's, it's often paired with the red pilled. So people, um, a kind of meme is based in red pilled, right? We've talked about this many times on the show. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the connotation that I'm most kind of playing with in this book called based to lose. Uh, but personally, there's another, well, the reason I really like this word based is because of just the, the textbook de- definition of the word based, um, based means just in a simple literal sense, it means close to the ground, right? It means grounded. It means, it means firmly planted on two feet. It's kind of the opposite of like pie in the sky bullshit. And the fact is that radical left wing, especially French uh, militant politics at the time in which Deleuze was living and thinking and writing, there was a lot of bullshit. There was a lot of pie in the sky bullshit. And um, a lot of that bullshit is now coming into, you know, it's, it's really ripening uh, today in, in the kind of excessively stupid and, and kind of ridiculous public public face of what like radical left wing politics looks like. So to me, based Deleuze is a really sensible and kind of catchy title because it kind of traffics in those other internet connotations, which I think are are relevant here. Um, but it also, what it's really signaling is that I see Deleuze as a philosopher who is embedded in the radical left and has a lot of sympathy for the radical left, but he sees through most of their bullshit. And he's trying to write in a way that can jive with them and kind of participate in their vocabulary and participate in their energy and world and worldview but he's actually got his feet planted firmly on the ground whereas his collaborator felix guitari for instance i think uh, much less much less so i think guitari in a lot of ways was a kind of dissolute um you know pie in the sky lefty activist who you know was a little bit a little bit diluted in certain ways um had, had some disorder thinking he was very depressive he was a womanizer um, and, uh, you know, he had some, he had some character flaws, let's say, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, you know, um, saying you can't be a great thinker and have character flaws. My point is just, uh, Guattari is a very different type of person. And, um, I think Deleuze kind of represents the, the, the based pole of the, of the Deleuze and Guattari relationship or collaboration. And I don't think that's ever really been fully articulated as forcefully as it could, I think I think for a lot of reasons of political correctness, essentially, people like to imagine that Deleuze and Guattari are kind of equals, but just different styles. I think that's a joke, to be honest. I think um, Guattari is like a little retarded. He's got some interesting ideas, but he's kind of a crazy guy. He likes to just write crazy stuff. He's into like stream of consciousness nonsense. And uh, Deleuze had very very little interest in stream of consciousness, kind of dissolute, socially liberal um, nonsense. Um, nowadays, popular culture, popular left-wing culture is kind of in, uh, in, in, in the lineage that flows off from people like Guattari, uh, depression is perfectly fine. Like depressed people are like, just as, you know, interesting and smart and cool as non-depressed people. 
Um, no, not really. Actually, like people, some people have really disordered thinking and they should not be formulating political ideas because their brain is not working really well. They should be respected. They should, by all means, I'm not belittling them whatsoever. Um, but people suffering from severe depression probably should not be formulating and publicizing political statements while they are suffering from severe depression. I know it goes in and out. I'm not saying obviously depressed people can do amazing intellectual work. And when they're not suffering from depression, by all means, do amazing intellectual work and share it and publicize it. I'm not in any way saying people shouldn't. Um, but I am saying that there is a major problem in left-wing politics, um, a longstanding pol- uh, problem for, for many generations. But I think you're seeing it especially badly now where you essentially have what are mentally ill people turning their mental illnesses into political philosophies and just like going on the internet and basically um, presenting the content of their emotions and, and, and feelings and ideas in the form of like political edicts. When in fact, actually they're just like really sad, confused, depressed people, and they should be trying to focus on getting healthy and, and being happy and uh, embedding themselves in like healthy functioning communities rather than making political edicts that make no sense and actually just reflect their bad mental illness. I actually, I, I, I think that uh, the Deleuze Guattari collaboration actually does kind of reflect this problem at, at a much earlier uh, time period because Deleuze was much more based, much more uh, uh, sophisticated by far. I mean, just as a philosopher, as a thinker, he was levels above uh, Guattari. I think that's just um, undeniable. And uh, I see their collaboration as basically a charity case. Like Deleuze was kind of saying like, oh, Guattari, you're like, you know, kind of crazy, dissolute, undisciplined, uh, womanizing, weird, depressive activist guy, but you have some ideas. You're definitely creative. You you have aspirations to do political theory. So I tell you what, you do your scribbles that make no sense and send them to me and I will edit them up and I will add philosophical gloss. And together we will create a new and unique, um, you know, collective uh, enunciation. And, th- and, and that's sincere and that's real. And that's, that's amazing. That's a cool political project. That is a kind of intellectual and political praxis. That's absolutely legit. Um, and I, and I endorse that and encourage that type of thing. But I think we shouldn't candy coat what's really going on there. Um, I think Deleuze is actually embodying a kind of neo-reactionary or obviously not neo-reactionary because that comes after him. But this is an example of what I mean by reactionary leftism. Like he's brutally honest with himself and the world around him. He's not he's not mincing words with himself about the different abilities people have and the different psychological states people have and the importance of those differences for, you know, people's ability to to actually achieve and produce things uh, with different unequal rates. I think he's brutally realistic about that. Um, there's a lot of evidence in his writings that actually he's he's he endorses what is now called human biodiversity or like, you know, call it, call it whatever you want. Like he's an inequality realist in many ways. Uh, there are many hints in his writings that uh, he thinks there are, in fact, hard differences in ability uh, across people and that that, you know, can't can't be ignored. Uh, he says actually quite provocative things to that to that effect. And somehow this just goes totally under the radar of all the kind of lefty academics who, uh, you know, still like Deleuze and think it's perfectly cool to to like Deleuze. Well, if you actually looked at what all the things he says, there's lots of super edgy um, taboo shit in there. And for some reason, contemporary lefty academics, it's still cool to like Deleuze, but no one really wants to confront those like really pretty, like brutally 
honest and incisive taboo kinds of observations that are actually like peppered throughout his work. So that's one of the things that, that I want to catalog. But the reason I call him a reactionary leftist, the subtitle for the book is the reactionary leftism of Gilles Deleuze is that I do still think he's a leftist. He still wants equality. He still wants that. He still likes the dream of communism. He speaks favorably of communism. And he says at many points that he still identifies as a Marxist in some, in some regard. Um, but he's just trying to be brutally honest about how things actually work. And uh, he's trying to not give up on that, even though he sees like leftist activism as telling itself all kinds of lies. He wants to kind of contribute to it without feeding its, it's dishonest and pathological and depressogenic and, um, you know, kind of self-mutilating tendencies. So that that's to me like what reactionary leftism is. Uh, it's like accepting the truths that are associated with um, some unsavory kinds of conservative tendencies just because you accept everything that seems true no matter what it is. But then you figure out a way also to uh, think it through and express it in a way that is communicable to left-wing people, to um, the less fortunate. And that can actually, and you actually are invested personally in figuring out um, forms of collaboration and, and forms of political organization where smarter people or healthier people or whatever, more fortunate people, wealthier people, whatever it might be, can collaborate meaningfully and, and authentically with people who are less fortunate and uh, less able, you know, to hold on to that vision and necessity of, of ethical um, community and collaboration and equality, a kind of ultimate value equality, like the ultimate equality of, of human worth across the board, while being like brutally realist about differential capacities and, and, and things like that, and to figure out uh, how to actually uh, live a life in that, in that kind of authenticity. It requires a kind of way of thinking that I think you can only really call reactionary leftist, because if you go too far left, you're going to be too agreeable and it's going to seem mean and nasty and disempowering to acknowledge certain like fundamental truths of just how reality breaks down. Um, but then if you go too far reactionary and you go the Nick Land route, you know, and your Twitter slogan is coldness be my God, you end up like worshiping, uh, kind of cruelty for, for its own sake in some sense. I don't, I, I think that's a character of Nick. I don't think Nick uh, worships cruelty, but you end up going down that kind of vector. And I think that's kind of a, I think that's a losing path also. So what I'm trying to do is kind of recover this um, understanding of Deleuze, which I think is really impressive and sophisticated and really worth understanding, provide an accessible kind of way of making sense of his otherwise like quite complicated and dense texts. And also, there's an obvious kind of um, intervention into contemporary kind of ideological confusions that I'm also trying to do with all that. So that's my little uh, quick and dirty summary of the the logic behind the book and the motivation for the book and what I'm going to try to do with that. Uh, as we do more live streams and stuff, I'll, maybe I'll make some videos too. I'll, I'll kind of go into a little bit more detail of what I'm talking about. But that's a kind of high level overview. So I think that's all for me. Um, is there anything from the chat that was especially interesting or funny or important? You, I both of you, Jeffrey and Ben, you were, you were like kind of glued to the chat. It looked like it was very, it looked like it was very entertaining. So what are like some good, uh, you have a Churchill thing going. Any, any major haters, any major attacks? Uh, I think fascist was brought up. <laughs> <laughs> Call this fascism. Uh, it sounds like you're imposing a normative for political activity. Uh, fuck. Yeah, I am. Political activity is normative. I mean, I'm not trying to tell people what to do. I'm just trying to tell you what I think, what I like, what I think is best. 
Well, and yeah, I guess I am trying to tell you what to do. <laughs> Jeffrey asks, what's the single best idea that Deleuze had? Hmm. It's a good question. In some sense, I think his, his real contributions are not so much ideas as you might think of them, Jeffrey, or as we might think of them as social scientists, we tend to think of, you know, the, the most valuable ideas to us typically are kind of theoretical insights that no one understood before about how some specific thing works or functions, um, you know, a, a kind of theoretical hypothesis that, that explains a lot of variation that we weren't able to explain before. Um, I think what, what, what Deleuze really accomplishes quite well is more just kind of like changing, um, changing the way that people think about certain things. So like, for instance, like one of, to me, um, one of the big ideas that I, that I think is really important is, uh, he's really interested in this idea of imminence. Um, and he's like very, he seems very, very aware of how humans go very wrong sometimes by, um, imagining, uh, that before they can do something, they have to do X, Y, and Z things. We have this like constant tendency sometimes to, to, to um, kind of screw ourselves up and prevent ourselves from ever even getting around to doing anything by imagining that there are like these imaginary hoops we have to jump through. And, and we have this kind of like strong tendency to automatically do that. Um, whereas he, he, he really kind of pushes and develops this ethics of imminence um, where, you know, he says ev everything begins in the middle. Like there's, there's no, like if you're, if you're looking for like an ideal start to something, or if you want to like rationalize the system um, too much before you even get it off the ground, you're going to end up doing nothing. You're going to, you're going to be lost. Right. Um, and in a lot of ways um, what he's really trying to figure out, and this is with his, his work with Qatari also, who I, I wasn't trying to be too hard on, by the way, like I think he, Qatari did bring a lot of unique contributions to it. Um, he, they seem to kind of think that uh, fascism, various forms of like proper fascism, like actually nasty, things like totalitarianism and, and kind of really sick and twisted public political uh, formations such as fascism, like Nazi fascism or whatever tends to come about through um, people's uh, like individuals own failure to like follow through on their own desire. So it's like people's desire gets twisted by these like political demagogues or whatever. Um, but that's in, that's in large part because people are not, able to follow the people are not able to correctly follow the paths of their own desire imminently. Um, so like you imagine that you can only get what you want through some kind of like fascist dictator who's like preaching some crazy shit. Um, whereas what they try to do is they try to prevent, they try to present a kind of system for how individuals should think about their own creativity and their own building their own relationships and building uh, different types of, of whatever it might be like uh, organizations or, or even just couplings or, or, or whatever the case might be, any type of um, social phenomena, how you can kind of think about that and build that and participate that in a way that doesn't get uh, sucked up into like all of these pitfalls that groups and group psychology tend to always get get sucked into. You know, so it's like, I kind of think about it as they actually, Deleuze actually was really quite well read on things like psychology and, and the empirical social sciences. But uh, I think, yeah, if you ask me like, what is his, what is his, what is one of his big ideas or what's like so good about Deleuze? Um, I think what he, I would say that he's actually trying to take what we know of from contemporary 
social sciences, which he's actually quite faithful to and has a lot of respect for. He's he's basically trying to run that through the cipher of French philosophy, which is this kind of dense flowery thing, unfortunately, but he's, but he's basically trying to do justice to um, like how psychology really works and trying to prevent the, the, the common pitfalls of like group formation um, in his own, in, in their own kind of like highly stylized philosophical and, and kind of literary language. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's like one rant I would say. So imminence is kind of like Jordan B. Peterson saying, clean your room before you go to like save the world, or it's like a lean startup where you just launch the product before it's perfected. You know, I have actually blogged about, uh, commonalities between Deleuze and Jordan Peterson. And it's one of my most hated, like if there's one thing I've said that got, that's gotten more hate than anything, it's that because people just hate the idea that they're, you know, precious, sophisticated, posh, you know, lefty radical Deleuze could possibly have anything in common with Peterson. But I think that's an apropos, uh, connection that you just made. Um, I think there, I think you do see elements of that, that kind of attitude, like don't worry about other people focus on yourself. And from that, um, new, whole new worlds will emerge. I mean, he, he, he does, he does actually really try to, um, make that case with, with, with great sophistication, I think. And it's also, and you're also right to note a little bit of like the startup culture, um, you know, just get minimum viable product, get it off the ground, whatever, with anything lying at hand, you know, whatever, whatever's lying around, make value out of it, spin something up. Yeah, exactly. Spin some, whatever's lying around, spin something up, get started. It's not going to be perfect. Doesn't matter. Start in the middle and, and let it grow. Let it, let it, um, go in every possible direction and don't, don't overthink it. I mean, these are obviously like very trite ways of putting it, but trite just means accessible. Like it's, re I'm, I'm reducing it to, to stuff that people can actually make sense of. Um, basically they're just trying to, I think they're trying to make a lot of these essentially kind of trite points, but they're trying to do it through this cipher of radical French philosophy, which is incredibly dense and you know it needs to do all this like literary signaling right so um yeah what else i'm trying to think of best ideas but any anything else from the chat um got a criticism here so your line of thinking um or your your line of flight leads to a black hole i won't be buying the book ex okay uh, yeah, so line of flight is this idea out of, um, oh, I see it, yeah. Line of flight is this Deleuzian idea. Yeah, so in the Deleuzian and Guattarian philosophy, um, a line of flight is basically something in your kind of immediate uh, psychological environment in which there's an opening for you to to push down. It could be a kind of, you know, you might think of it as a um, something that you're curious about, something that elicits your desire, something that you feel like you see a glint, you know, like we all have this in our life when you're reading or you're writing or you're going through life, you know, something opens up for a minute and you're kind of like, I don't know that much about that, but I feel drawn towards it. I could push down this, you know, I could, I could go deeper in this, right? Uh, they describe, you know, human experience as involving all of these lines of flight, possibilities for escape, possibilities for, for um, highly unpredictable, creative. Like I think about the line of flight as kind of like, um, it's all of those things that you could do and that you kind of want to do, but you don't right? For like, for, for kind of reasons of inertia, right? We all have these ideas, possibilities that we would kind of like to do. And you could, you could, you could take a day out of your week this week to do something you've been thinking about doing for years that it excites you. You think it's cool. You kind of think you could maybe be good at it and you really want to, but you don't, you just never get around to it, but you could tomorrow. That's the line of flight to me. That, that, that's like one way of thinking about it. So, I mean, that's a very popular idea, Jeffrey. If you like, if you ask what's, what's one of the best ideas out of Deleuze, someone, someone might say the line of flight. Like this is a very, this is a very kind of key 
uh, pivotal idea in, in the philosophy, especially kind of the political philosophy. Um, and, uh, so this person is using like a Deleuzian language to basically say that, um, he doesn't like me, but, uh, yeah, no, because they, they basically Deleuze and Guattari are very interested in basically like the failure modes of what I would call the failure modes of kind of like radical thought and radical creativity. And again, it's, this is like the based, this is the based aspect. Like Deleuze is trying to figure out, he's very interested in how is it that you have all of these radical people who are interested in emancipation? You know, you have thousands, especially in France at the time, right? You have thousands of people like well-meaning, passionate young people. Let's say for instance, like today's like social justice warriors, right? Like a lot of these people, they, you know, they're, they're smart, they're able, they want to create equality and, and change and all this. How is it that despite all of these people who want to do that, they're not able to do it. And in fact, no matter how hard they try, they're actually reproducing these like fascist structures. That's, that's one of the, that's one of the major questions that Deleuze was obsessed with. Um, and he's trying to intervene in that. So the, as the question says, one of uh, Deleuze's ideas with Deleuze and Guattari is that, that uh, lines of flight sometimes go into black holes and they have like this big long chapter on the black hole as a, as a kind of, you know, admittedly, you know, flowery philosophical concept, but the black hole is like one of the failure modes. It's one of the kind of dead ends that you can find yourself going into. Um, if you don't understand desire in the, in the kind of, psychologically correct way if you don't know how to read your own codes if you don't know how to read the signals around you in the right way then your line of flight could shoot down into a black hole um and they have and they have a bunch of theories on on why that is so that that's just decoding that person's question for you he's basically just saying he he's ba all he's saying all that person is saying is that they don't like what i'm saying but they're using they're using like a flowery delusian language to say it um so yeah your uh insults mean nothing to me peon <laughs> what else we got I liked your take on the, the line of flight as a deferred rabbit hole. Well, you know what? We just did an hour. I think we call it wraps. People, you should subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. Uh, thank you for hanging out with me. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. What? Yeah, sure. Uh, we had one tab that we want to discuss, which is Michael McCrumps. McCrumps, if you're out there, I know you watch these. You love to hate on me, but I know you watch these. Um, I wanted to address some of the haters on Twitter. There were a lot of haters on Twitter. Um, so we'll do this and then we'll wrap it up. Um, Michael McCrumps, I thought he was a friend of mine. I thought we were internet buddies, but over the past few months, uh, he's become a major hater of me, constantly subtweeting me. McCrumps, I know you watch this. I know you love me, man. Why are you talking shit? I know you love this. I know you love the, the JMRF live stream. I know you love my shit. Just be honest about it, dude. Uh, so you're screen sharing. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, he is a thoughtful and, and, uh, you know, fairly, you know, reasonably uh, literate young man. So I thought I would use his uh, bit of hatred as a as a pretext for discussing some of the other haters and the common critiques. So here you can see uh, McCrumps seems to think, uh, first of all, he calls it a joke, which is extremely rude. I do not joke. Uh, it's very serious. Um, he seems to think that nobody gets to lose anyway. It's all BS. He's imputing this idea to me. So I can just say whatever I want. To lose, uh, I'm sorry, McCrumps, has never understood my project. He wrote a blog post a few months ago calling me a fascist. And uh, he thinks that I'm like a postmodernist. He thinks that I am a relativist and I just like to play jazz with culture. And um, I just like to throw a bunch of meaningless signifiers onto the canvas and not really care about where they land. That seems to be the, that seems to be the, the attack here that uh, nobody understands to lose. So I'm just going to say a bunch of random shit and not be sincere about it. Not be, not be um, clear about it. Um, just be whimsical as he puts it. McCrumps, do you not understand that I'm the opposite of whimsical? I believe in 
severe discipline and self-discipline. And I hate whimsy. I hate fun. I hate relaxing. I hate being happy. I whimsical. I mean, anyone who calls me whimsical clearly does not understand me or anything about my project. I'm, I'm interested in reducing whimsy, um, in, in, in the body politic. So, uh, so yeah, I think clearly McCrumps doesn't get it. I would not really trust McCrumps, um, literary criticism of me or anyone else personally, but McCrumps, if you're out there, man, you know, we had a good live stream conversation. I like you as a person. I I wish you weren't so dumb with your takes sometimes, but, uh, I do appreciate this as giving me an opportunity to clarify some things. Um, so, and, uh, oh, and one last thing is lowbrow. How dare you call anything I do lowbrow? Mr. You are the one talking about me on Twitter. Okay. That's lowbrow. I'm writing a motherfucking book. It might be an ebook, but it's still a motherfucking book. That shit ain't lowbrow. I am going to be the one who makes ebooks highbrow. Mark my fucking words. Up until now, ebooks, they don't have the highest status, I must admit. But in the post Murphy universe, ebooks are going to have the same status as regular written paper books. Because this book, which basically, frankly, I could shit this on a napkin and it would be higher brow than anything Mike McCrumps or any other average like Twitter delusion could possibly write. No offense to you all. I support you all. I, I, I want you to succeed. I want you to grow. I really like you all, um, you internet intellectuals. I, you know, I'm, I'm your champion. Uh, but let's be honest. I mean, I could shit on a napkin and it would be better than most internet writers could do um, with, you know, four weeks of dedicated labor. Frankly, I could shit on a napkin and it'd be better than what most academics could do in like a whole semester's worth of work because 90% of that semester's work is like filing paperwork and dealing with like kids um, pooping their pants in their office hours. So yeah, let's just be honest. Nothing I do is lowbrow. This ebook is going to change the fucking game for what ebooks even mean. All right. And uh, another thing, asshole, is the thing's not even written yet. So why are you commenting on it before it's even written? Christ, if you're going to do literary criticism, wait for the thing to come out and fucking pirate it on LibGen or something if you don't want to pay for it because you're a fucking cheapskate. At least get your hands on the thing. But you can't because I haven't even written it. So, I mean, what kind of world are we in where Twitter literary critics write book reviews for books that have not even been written? That was only announced a few days ago to, to be available for pre-order. I mean, come on, dude. You're outing yourself. You're showing that you, you're impatient. And that probably you're not even capable of following my, my complex logic and highbrow, very highbrow ebook. That's going to be a game changer. So, you know, if you want to write a review after it comes out, then by all means, I'll send you a free copy. I'll have my people, you know, um, I'll have my people get in touch with you. I mean, my person across the table from me, Ben, I'll have Ben email you. Um, but uh, until then, shut the fuck up, McCrumps. Or we could have a fight if you want. You know, I've been training very, very hard, lifting a lot of weights. Upstairs in this compound we have, we got some really heavy weights, all kinds. And I've been getting pretty jacked lately. So basically, I mean, any of you people out on the internet who, uh, you know, before you get too comfortable talking shit about me, I would I would maybe, I'd wait and see. I'd wait and see. Because um, you might want to think twice. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Any other um, major issues from the chat? Folks, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I'm so glad to be back. I am I am back on a whole new level. Uh, the production quality, my emotional intensity, my confidence, my passion, my belief in this, it's all absolutely renewed and re-energized to a whole new level. And uh, this is the beginning of, of just an absolutely whole new level for me. And I'm very happy that you're with me, even though I took a few weeks hiatus. 
I hope you can see it was all worth it. And uh, yeah, folks, buckle up because this is just the beginning. Please subscribe. If you have comments about anything I said, throw throw a reply down down below. And if you want to join the Discord server, there's a link in the description. So just um, I have a little entrance survey that I ask people to take if they want to get in the Discord server. And then I just I'll hook you up with an invite. So um, yeah, as always, thank you for hanging out with me. Um, any any parting words from Ben or Jeffrey? What are your what are your last words on like how this as your first live stream that you were the uh, the technical support for? How did it go in your view for you on your end? It was a blast. Based. Based. You're very based too. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Based. 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 <laughs> All right. You can uh, hit off now or stop broadcast or whatever. Okay. Bye, folks. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe. And it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.